Thank you very much, Irene. Thank you very much, Holly, for ministering in music. If you notice the title to what I will be discussing this morning, get this right and most of life will be right. That does not mean there will not be problems and difficulties along the way. But I think it means there will be wisdom in knowing how to respond and how to live. Last Sunday, we discussed four unions coming from the Gospel of John, the union of Christ with his Father while on this earth. Christ was united to his Father while on this earth, the union of Christ with humanity. He took upon himself human form, and he became fully human but remained fully God. The union of Christ with believers. Believers become part of the body of Christ. Christ is united to them. Philippians says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. And then the union of believers with one another. Body, joined together, the spirit living within each believer. This morning we want to consider an aspect of prayer or several aspects of prayer that spring from these unions. And as we begin, I would pose some questions. The first one, if our church were looking for a pastor, what three questions would you desire to ask? Anyone want to volunteer one? Three core questions that you would want to ask, what would they be? No takers on that one. Elka. What do you believe? believe? Okay. Rich. What kind of experience do you have? have? A follow-up question, maybe shifting gears a little. If you could give a few words of core counsel to a young husband who's going to be a father, what would you share? That is in terms of just good counsel. <clears throat> and there was silence in heaven for the space of a half an hour. Pray for the mother and child. Pray for the mother and child. Shirley. Take your children to church, don't just send them. We could give many answers to either of the questions. They're designed to challenge us to think. What is the major, I'm not looking for response on this, but what would you say is the major role of a leader? Maybe I should say one of the major roles of a leader to followers. What is one of the major responsibilities of a pastor to the flock that he shepherds? What is one of the major roles of a husband and or father to his wife and children? Let's take our Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 20. Going to look at Several passages in the Old Testament, then come over to the New Testament. 
In Genesis chapter 20, we find that Abraham has been called by God to leave his country, go to a land that God would show him. That call took place in Genesis 12. He made a promise in chapter 15, renewed that promise in chapter 17. And we find that Abraham, in spite of being called by God, on several occasions said to people, or he told Sarah, his wife, one time, now tell people that you are my sister, not my wife. And that is true. He was a half-sister, but she was also his wife. And in chapter 20, we find Abraham is interacting with Abimelech. Chapter 20 and verse 1. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of Najib and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, she is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her with an intent, you know, that she's going to become his wife. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, you're as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say, he is my brother? I've done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience. And so I have kept you from sinning against me. This is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet. And he will pray for you. And you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you are as, and all yours will die. And we could read on and we find that Abimelech summoned his, summoned his officials and returned Sarah. But look at verse 17. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his slave girls, so that they could have children again. For the Lord had closed up every womb in Abimelech's household because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. And again, I know we're leaping into a context, but we find the beginning of what we may call prophetism in this passage. And God clearly states to Abimelech that he, Abraham, is a prophet and he will pray for you. And then he prays. We won't turn to Numbers 12 or Exodus 32 and Numbers 14. But you find in Numbers chapter 12 that Miriam and Aaron complained against Moses. And God took some very, very strong action as Miriam and Aaron complained against Moses. And the Lord came and he spoke. And he said, I speak with Moses as I have no one else because he's a prophet. One of a kind. And we know that Miriam then was stricken with leprosy. But God clearly says in Numbers chapter 12 that Moses was a prophet. And we know that God numerous times has something to say about prophets and how they respond. And God had said that he spoke to Moses. 
in dreams, but also he spoke to him face to face. And when you get to Numbers chapter 14, we find the children of Israel ready to go into the promised land. And they refused to go into the promised land when 10 of the spies came back and said, we can't take the land. Two of the spies said, we can. And God judged Israel because of that. And you find in Numbers 14 that it says, Moses interceded. He prayed for the nation of Israel. You'll find the same thing happening in Exodus 32 with the golden calf, which would have taken place earlier. What did he do? God said, I'm going to judge the nation of Israel, and Moses interceded. You will find that one of the functions of a prophet, a primary function of a prophet, was to pray. He also was to speak God's word, but both were functions of a prophet. He was to pray for people. Please understand that the few comments that I just shared about prophets have come from weeks of study that I've done on on prophets in the Old Testament. I'm not just jumping into a context. I've considered the overall view of prophets in the Old Testament. Primary role is to pray and to minister God's word. Now, with that thought in mind, let's go to the New Testament and go to Hebrews chapter 2. Prophet's function was to minister God's word and to pray. Christ came as the final prophet in light of Deuteronomy chapter 18, along with New Testament passages. And as a prophet, we find... In Hebrews chapter 2, pick up with verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he, referring to Christ, too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. As you reflect on the New Testament and you reflect on Christ, we find that Christ came in union with his Father, in union with humans, But he took upon himself human form so that he could identify with humans. He could become a faithful high priest in service to God. Abraham, Moses, prophets in the Old Testament prayed. Christ comes. He's a prophet. He's a priest. He's a king. But because part of his duty as prophet is to be a high priest. Clearly stated in chapter 4, verses 14 through chapter 5 and verse 10. Against, again, it is mentioned that Christ is our high priest. And I want you to turn over to Romans 8. What is the primary role of Jesus Christ 
today. Romans 8. We quote many times and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And then he goes on to say that God, whom God foreknew, he predestined and so on. But notice our response to that, or Paul's response in verse 34. Who is he that condemns? The answer, Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Christ's ministry today is to intercede for the Roman believers, to intercede for the body of Christ. As a prophet, he intercedes. As the head of the body, he intercedes for the body. Now with those thoughts in mind, let's go over to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. In the early days of what we call the church, we know that on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God was poured out. And some of the people who had come to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost apparently stayed in Jerusalem. So there was many people who would have, what we call, come to Christ. They needed to be cared for. Some of the people sold their houses, their lands, so that there would be money to take care of the people. But it created a problem. In chapter 6 and verse 1, in those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. By the way, there's nothing new under the sun. The church, since the beginning, has mumbled and groaned and complained about one thing or another. Nothing new. So we mumble and groan and complain today. They did it in the early church. The Grecian Jews complained against the Hebraic-speaking Jews because their widows are neglected. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. And we'll give our attention to prayer in the ministry of the word. The twelve are saying it's not our responsibility to take care of the widows and minister. We'll turn that over to someone else. We want to focus on prayer and the ministry of God's word. Now, I ask myself a question, and I'm asking you and I will answer. Why would they say prayer and the ministry of God's word? Did it tie in with? the pattern in the Old Testament of prophets, to pray for followers and to minister God's word to them. Tying with Christ, who prayed with them and for them in the garden in John chapter 17, and also ministered God's word, and they're continuing that pattern. But emphasize prayer in the ministry of God's word. 
They set priority. We want to pray and we want to minister God's word. We won't turn there, but we could turn to Romans chapter 1. And we'll find that Paul prays for the Romans. In Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, along with Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 21, it's not listed there, but we find that Paul prays for the believers in Ephesus. In Philippians 1, 9 through 11, we find Paul prayed for the believers in Philippi. And you could turn to Colossians, you'll find the same thing being true in First and Second Thessalonians. Let's go to First Peter chapter 3 now. First Peter chapter 3. This week as I was praying through First Peter for our church, I guess verse 7 hit me hard. But Hebrews, or First Peter, I'm sorry, First Peter 3 and verse 7. Peter's writing, your believers are going through persecution, teaching them how to live and respond in the world. Beginning of chapter 3, he talks to wives, and then he says in verse 7 of chapter 3, husbands. In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives, and treat them with respect as a weaker partner, and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Husbands, be considerate. And the idea of considerate is to study your wife, figure her out what makes her function, and respond according to who she is. Be considerate as you live with your wife. Treat her with respect as the weaker partner. I think he's talking primarily of physical strength. And also as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. A wife, a husband are heirs together with God. They have the same position in Christ. And then he says, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. A husband praying, but if he doesn't consider his wife, doesn't treat her as a weaker partner, does not consider an heir together with him, That will hinder prayers. A husband having a role to his wife of praying for her. Prophets prayed for people. Christ prayed for people. In Acts chapter 6, we find the 12 prayed for people. You look at the pastoral epistles, pastors are to be involved in praying for people. Husbands are to be involved in praying for their wives. I find it interesting that of the 39 direct references to prayer in Acts and the epistles, 16 of them are in the context of leaders in one way, shape, or form praying for followers. whether it be a church leader, whether it be an apostle, or whether it be a husband or a father. I want to issue a challenge and encouragement. 
in light of what we discussed. Pastors, elders, ministry leaders in our church, whether it be Awana, Sunday school teachers, teens, VBS, music. Pray for those you lead. Prophets prayed. Christ prayed. Pastors pray. Husbands pray. But not only pray for them, pray with them. And I realize we're talking primarily about men here. We'll get to your ladies in just a second. But pray for, with. Communicate to those that you pray or you lead that you're praying. And then I go a step further in light of the pattern in the New Testament. Pray together for those to whom you minister. A primary role of my responsibility as a pastor and of the elders is to pray for you. And when we come together, a primary amount of time, a large amount of time should be devoted to pray for the congregation. Pray with, for, as leaders. There's an intimacy involved in prayer that probably is deeper than most anything else in the body of Christ. Pray. Husbands, pray for your wife. Let her know this. Pray for your wife. But pray with your wife out loud. We say, I can't handle that. Christ is our life. The power that raised Christ from the dead, the power that is beyond what we can ask or comprehend is at work within us. So we can go to our wives and say, I haven't done this for years or we're just getting married and I'm, I want to pray with you, whatever the case may be. I'm no good at this. I haven't been taught to do this. I've never done it. But Christ's power is at work with me and within me. I will pray with you. Guys, our wives long for us to pray with them. It's been mentioned to me over and over, over the years. United prayer of a husband and wife will influence a marriage deeply. You say, I'm chicken. I don't want to take the lead. I don't really think I can. Well, then admit it. But take action. It's part of a role of a husband. You may say, I've been married 30 years and I've never done it. Start. Never too late. Fathers, pray for your children, your grandchildren, and let them know. Pray with your children and your grandchildren 
And I say out loud. Prophets prayed, pastors pray, husbands pray, fathers pray for those that they seek to lead. He said, I don't know how to pray. Talk to God about whatever. Pray with your wife for your children and their families if they're older and married. The united prayer of a father and mother will impact family. I'm not saying the kids are going to be angels, they're going to obey, they're never going to do anything wrong. They'll get into trouble, they become adults, and they'll have struggles, they aren't always responsive. But pray. Pray. There are enemies that will work to keep us from the foundational ministry of prayer. And I say this to perhaps the shame of maybe pastors. But pastors will talk a lot about what works or a method or how much time they spend in study and preparing a sermon. Far too infrequent do pastors get together and ask one another, you spent 20 hours in a sermon, did you spend 20 hours this week praying for your congregation? Satan will do everything under the sun to keep pastors, to keep elders, to keep ministry leaders, to keep husbands, to keep fathers from praying for and with their followers. Everything else is easier. You have time for everything else. But he'll lure us away. If Satan wins here, he basically wins the war. Prayer. Another enemy is individualistic mindset in the entire history of our country. That's not a criticism. But our country was founded upon wanting to be independent. And that has come down through our history. And I'm not criticizing that in any way, shape, or form. But that independent mindset has crept into the church. Now we teach about prayer and we talk about individual prayer only. Most of the references in Scripture are to corporate prayer. Nothing wrong with individual prayer, but corporate. And then there's just the self-sufficient mindset. I can handle life myself. I don't need Others. The enemies, but Satan being the primary enemy, will work to keep us from praying. I confess that in my own life. 
That's easier for me to prepare a sermon than it is to say, I'm going to take several hours today to pray for the congregation and pray specifically for you. Maybe one by one or families or to pray corporately for you as a body of believers. So I dare you. Maybe I better not dare you on this one. Go up to a pastor sometime and say, how many hours did you spend this week praying for your congregation? Just devoted to praying for your congregation. Maybe you better not. If you want to ask me, you can. I won't shoot you. (laughs) But uh, prayer. Husbands, are you studying your wife and figuring her out and praying for her according to who she is and then praying with her? And the same thing with children. I realize I was directing most of my comments to this point. To pastors, to elders, to ministry leaders, to husbands, to fathers. And just a few comments. What should a wife without a godly husband who leads in prayer but claims Christ do? Probably find some older ladies or other ladies that are believers and ask for counsel and guidance as to how do I respond and how do I live. I think a second thing, pray with and for your children, whether it be one-to-one or with all your children, if a husband, father may not lead. I'm going to say something to you guys now that isn't practiced very well in the body of Christ. that godly men need to go to those men who may not have the freedom to pray with their wives, for their wives, with their children, and for their children, and say, this is a primary responsibility of yours. I love you and I care for you. What can I do to help you develop that in your life? Not to criticize, not to tear down, but to offer A generation of older men that are coming to younger men and say, I'll pray with you. I'll help you. I will even come to your home to help you develop, to pray with, for your wife and your children. If you are a wife and a mother, and your husband is not leading in prayer, don't badger him. Don't beat him. Don't tell him every day he needs to pray with you. Maybe tell him one time, or ask him one time, and then leave it alone. Let God work on him. You say he may never change. Walk with God and be faithful. Don't determine your response upon him. There are times when we have represented here this morning mothers who may be single 
or have a non-believing husband, what do I do? Pray for and with your children. Pray for and with your children. Maybe at times ask the godly man to step in. Will you come and will you pray with me? I'm a single mother. Will you come and will you pray with me? Pray for me. Pray with me for my children. Just ask a man, a couple men to step into your life and to pray for you. And men, think about single moms. Moms that may have be married, but their husband is a non-believer. To be willing to get a couple of the guys and step in and do pray for and with that mother. Did you change your mind? The answers that were given earlier, I think, are very much on track. If our church were considering a new pastor, what three questions would you desire to ask? Those that were mentioned were good. I think I would add. Are you praying for your followers? And how much? Are you praying for and with your wife? Are you praying for him with your children? Along with what you ask, plus some others. If you could give some core counsel to a young husband who is going to be a father, what would you share? What you said was good, I would probably add. Pray for and with their mother. Pray for and with. your children, or your child. I realize, in light of what I share, probably most of us, especially us guys, would say, I struggle. I do. I say that personally. I would much sooner take Ruth Ann out to eat than to pray with her. I would much sooner go visit you than to sit in my study and pray for you or to say, let's take some time to pray together when I'm with you. Some of you are saying, well, I've never prayed with my wife. I never prayed with my kids. It's just a really a big thing to me. It's a struggle and I have a lot of red flags. Are we willing to admit our struggle and recognize the enemy is at work to confess reality and to say, I want to repent. I've not been doing this or I'm struggling. I want to turn the other way. It's Christ at work in me. And maybe to go and seek forgiveness and than to change. Guys, are we willing to say, Christ is at work in me? I want to respond. And if you're praying, keep it up.
but we're dealing with a core area. And we're dealing with something that we rarely talk about. Are we willing to act? I have to say this sermon has been, probably been many, many years in the making as God has worked in my heart over and over again. Are you a man of prayer? Are you a pastor of prayer? Are you a husband of prayer? Are you a father of prayer? Are you a grandfather of prayer? I'm not out to tear down. I'm not out to destroy. I'm not out to criticize. I'm not out to say, get with it. I'm out to point out to you that from the days of the prophets into the New Testament, Christ today, prayer is vital and critical. So don't walk out of here, please, and say, I'm a big failure. Rather walk out and say, by God's grace, I want to continue to do what I've been doing in terms of prayer. Or by God's grace, I want to act on this if I have not been praying for God's glory. And what I said to you mothers, what I said to you wives, respond accordingly. We guys need encouragement. We need prayer. As we seek to bring glory to God. very, very foundational area for leaders to pray for and with. One of the hardest things for a man to do is to go to his wife or children and say, I've not been responsive to God as I should be. Trust me, I know. But are we willing to act? And for you ladies, are you willing just to trust God to work as you pray? Let's pray together. Father, I guess in some ways my heart is heavy this morning, probably heavy for some time. And that's true for a number of reasons. As a pastor, I've been told many things that I should be doing. I've read many books about pastoring and shepherding. But the counsel to pray with and for people and to spend quality and quantity time, hours, in praying for my flock, the counsel to that end has been very far and few between over my 40 years in ministry. The books that I've read and been able to find on prayer and pastors praying for their flock, I could count on one hand.
So whether it be myself as pastor here at Rowan Brook or our elders or ministry leaders, we want to pray for and with those to whom we minister. We confess that we haven't arrived and we struggle. And Father, my heart is heavy because I get married almost 45 years ago. I've read a few books on being a husband and received some counsel on being a husband. But rarely have I been challenged and encouraged and someone coming alongside and just asking in all honesty, are you praying with and for your wife? I've been asked a lot of other things about how I might respond to her. But yet I know prayer is so important. So may we as men admit where we are. If we're on track, continue. If we're not on track, to acknowledge that. And Father, I guess my heart is heavy too because I've been a father for over 40 years. I've been told repeatedly to do this, to do that with kids. To play with them, to work with them, and all those things are good. But it's been very rare for anyone to come to me and say, Dan, pray for your children, pray with your children. It seems like the enemy Satan has worked very hard down through the period of the church age. May we recognize it. And may we choose to respond in light of Christ being our life. May we not leave here this morning with, I'm really not very good because I've not been responding correctly. But leave with joy because you in grace through Christ challenge us to walk the way you've called us to walk. Even if we may have blown it along the way or we've blown it for many years, may we in grace respond to you. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.